whew, okay, we did it. We survived. We got through the suffering, the pain of Tisha B'Av. But now what? We're going to do it again? We'll just be right back where we started next time? Is any of this worth it? Welcome to Consciously, a podcast focused on honest conversations for regular people seeking spiritual growth. Here's our host, Menachem Poznanski. Hey, Consciously family, welcome back to the podcast. Okay, it's a big day today for me, for us, for the Jewish people. It's too above. It's actually not too above for me. It's too above tomorrow. And if you're listening to this, when it comes out, you're listening to it on Tubov. But nonetheless, whenever you're listening to this, it's always an important time. But first, before we get to that, I want to thank you for joining us on the podcast and ask you, invite you to subscribe and give us five stars and write a review. Uh, It definitely helps us get the word out on Apple, Spotify, or anywhere you take your podcast. Also, uh, if you want to check out some of the fun stuff we're doing, check us out on social media, The Light Revealed, at The Light Revealed on Instagram and on Facebook, and you can check out my Instagram, at Menachem Puzz, though I'm not posting all the time, but sometimes I do. And also check out our books, Consciously Six Steps to Living Vibrantly with Our Creator, and Stepping Out of the Abyss, The Jewish Guide to the Twelve Steps, both at Mosaica Publishing. And questions, comments, concerns, or just reaching out is always welcome um, on Instagram, at The Light Revealed or by email, thelightrevealed at tlr.org. Okay, so, Tubov. What, what's this whole Tubov thing? It's like not really something that everyone pays attention to, uh, and yet it seems to be a very big deal. There's a Gemara that quotes Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel, who says that for the Jewish people, there are two truly joyous days, the 15th of Av and Yom Kippur. Now, this seems in many ways, to be one of the most shocking statements in all of Jewish literature. The 15th of Av is a day that, in Jewish antiquity, was set aside for matchmaking. And Yom Kippur is a day when we fast and pray for forgiveness. So it leads you to ask, what is the parallel between these two themes, and why are they the most joyous days? Also, how does that relate to us in 2022? What are the spiritual principles that we can draw from that statement and from its underlying themes? That's what I kind of want to talk about today. So there are obviously a plethora of answers to, to why Yom Kippur and Tubav are the most joyous, but let's focus in on one, and hopefully that'll bring us back to the topic at hand that we introduced in the opening. If we think about it, both of these holidays, Yom Kippur and Tubav, are focused on making matches and embracing the meaningfulness of life despite its imperfection. On Yom Kippur, we go to God with our most broken self. We ask forgiveness, that he cleanse us of the inner mess that was created by our misdeeds and our as-of-yet unrefined character. We make amends and ask God to bring us back into his inner circle and into the fold of his love. Reflectively from God, or perhaps more us reflecting him, God wants us close to him more than he wants our perfection or even our good deeds. He wants us. He creates the holiday of Yom Kippur, at least in part, to reveal the power of repentance and forgiveness and to remind us of his eternal love for us, no matter how big of a knucklehead we are. Tubav, the 15th of Av, is very similar. Tubav comes on the heels of all of the historic tragedies of the three-week period, especially the deep and horrid suffering of Tisha B'Av, the destruction of the temple, the destruction of the temple, our national ruin, death, and unman- unimaginable suffering. What do we do? 
on Tubav, just a few days later, we start making Shaduchim. We make marriage connections. We move on. We rebuild our lives in this imperfect reality that we find ourselves in. We practice the same and acceptance and forgiveness, so to speak, for God that he practices with us on Yom Kippur. We affirm the inherent value of life as reflected in the radical and faithful effort of taking the plunge into marriage and life building, that we will move on despite the suffering we have endured and the unassured state in which we exist, mostly because God calls us to it, because life matters. When you consider the idea of a Tuba of holiday coming on the heels of Tisha B'Av, it's, it's shocking. You would think it's the last thing that people would do, but as we saw in in the generation of, for many of us, of our grandparents and parents after the Holocaust, our national reaction to tragedy is to rebuild. And that's something that we really have to give some thought to. So all this is really beautiful. And one could see why the Holy Tana of Shimon ben Gamliel said that this is a day of utter joy. But if we are being intellectually honest, and to get back to the topic at hand, we have to ask ourselves, is that really true? Is it worth it for God? And is it worth it for us if life is so complicated? So, gif- so difficult and so gosh darn imperfect? Why should we bother getting married if we know that there'll be disagreements and challenges? If we know our spouse, our spouse will drive us batty at some point, many points perhaps, in many days, what's the point of getting married, of embracing the meaningfulness of life, if one of us will die first, leaving the other reeling in pain and suffering more alone than anything imaginable? How could we so absurdly embrace life by making matches and getting married, fostering new and sweet life after the tragedies of Tisha B'Av, the horrors of the Holocaust, but also the sadness and pain of our own inner demons and traumas. If we're being intellectually honest and emotionally honest with our feelings, why should we even bother? However, to answer that, we have to ask an even broader question. We have to ask, why does God God bother with all of this world in the first place? If we're all just knuckleheads, and if the world is filled with our foolishness and even some people's evil, why is it worth it to God? Is our avoda, our spiritual serv- service, really worth it? Sure, there are remarkable, holy, and powerfully effective people with massive resources and abilities. And perhaps maybe their somewhat flawed lives are worthwhile because they are super. But what about the knuckleheads? What's the point of a life of spiritual progress if we won't ever get to perfection? That's the question that this really begs. Whoa, that's heavy. But if we're being honest with ourselves, these are the questions that we must answer. If we think with a purely biological and materialist mind, we might say, well, it's, it's instinct. We are pushed to, re- to reproduce and procreate by our nature, to perpetuate our species and our society. Yet we as humans have conscious thoughts. And you don't have to search YouTube very far to find fabulously wealthy, beautiful celebrities decrying the value of marriage and having children in the name of personal enjoyment satisfaction and accomplishment. So the answer of instinct isn't enough, and it doesn't answer what God's skin in the game is. These challenges beg that we ask, what does the Torah, Jewish spirituality, the ancient wisdom of the inner world of Torah say about this? What's the point? You know, what is the, what is the real point of me and my knucklehead life? As is always the case with taking a spiritual approach to things. And in order to be practical-minded about this, instead of getting lost and being philosophical, the ancient wisdom of the inner world of Torah invites us to reframe our thinking and our question. The answer to this age-old question is not about an idea, but rather about a way of thinking which opens us to see the value in all of this, our, our very purpose. 
in order to answer the questions that we pose and in order to understand why Tuba'av and Yom Kippur are truly the most joyous days, we will need to pivot our perspective from the give me an answer to let's assume that that's true. Now, how do I move myself to a conscious awareness of that? This is not to say that in order to understand life's deepest questions, we have to take a leap of faith into the abyss of doubt and then try to figure out how to live there and convince ourselves that, that it's true. What I meant by that is the ancient wisdom is saying to us, you're right. What you see is in fact true. The questions you ask are deeply valid. But really, when we break it, up all, break it all down, there's only two possible choices. Life is either meaningful but complicated, requiring an ever-evolving, maturing perspective on its depth and beauty, or it's not. God is or God isn't. Those are the only choices available. If God is, then he affirms with every beautiful sunset and every majestic landscape that life is valuable and meaningful. With every baby born, their cuteness oozing out of them, even though, even though we all know that at some moments they will likely be rather cruel, is an affirmation that life makes sense. Every engagement and marriage, every morning loving family honoring their past affirms this is real and of substance. If God is, and we are here, then we must be valuable and worth it. The question then becomes, how can we, as spiritually minded people, work to evolve our spiritual attitude and perspective to meet the realities our mature mind is observing? Questions and realities which challenge the very simple notion that we know in our hearts when we are breathtaking by the beauty of nature and the adorable, absolutely amazing expression that is new life. Challenges which imply that this is all random and doesn't make sense and none of it matters. And yet, deeply, we know that that's not true. In order to unpack all of this, the ancient wisdom of Torah teaches that we must orient back to a simple statement in the Zohar that seems obviously wise, yet not very mind-blowing. In the Zohar, the Yanuka states, the wise man always has his eyes in his head, or on his head. The text goes on to explain that this doesn't mean, obviously, that our physical eyes are in our physical head. That's obvious. But rather, spiritually speaking, a person who seeks to live a life directed by ancient wisdom must be mindful of what hovers above them, what hovers above their head, the presence of God himself. The holy texts explain that the implication of this simple yet critical teaching is that if God is then he created us, and he created this world. And proverbially speaking, we are walking under the light of his presence, fulfilling the, def the destiny of his desire for life. That's on a proverbial level. On a mystical level, the inner world of Torah teaches us that the presence of God, what's called the Shechina, actually hovers above each of us. Our souls and spirits are not just derivatives of divine energy, that manifests in conscious free-willed beings, but we also have a presence of God which remains present with us, but hovering above us. The Anuka is reminding us that we must always remain mindful of this presence, both the mystical presence of God and the proverbial presence of God's intention for the world, and that in doing so, we must always give fuel to the flame of God's presence to keep it actually mystically, and proverbially present in our lives, that we should see ourselves as a candle, a candle of God's presence in the world. The Shechina is the flame which lights up the darkness of the world, and we are the wick. 
But what's the fuel? What's the fuel that allows the flame to remain lit and to remain here and present? The answer the Zohar gives is our good deeds, our mitzvot. On a mystical level, our good deeds and fine character are spiritual fuel that draw the inner light of the essence of God's divinity into the world. This allows us to exist as a lightning rod for a most powerful good. On the proverbial level, our good deeds reflect a practical and material manifestation of the essence of God's original intent in creating the world. God wanted to manifest his light and love in a material realm. And when we act in good deed, especially and most potently with purpose and right intention, we give a material expression to that divine desire. We become the candle of the ever-subtle, yet powerful, sometimes not even subtle at all, presence of God's infinite light and love. So what the Anuka means, that a person's eyes should always be on their head, is that when a person is seeking to live a life and path, to take the odyssey of a life of ancient wisdom, he will constantly, he or she, will have to constantly reframe back to the awareness of the importance of their right action and their good deeds especially when they're done with intention and consciousness that, they are, that these actions are actually prescribed by God. And in, order, and in order to be an agent of God, they need to effectuate and materialize those good thoughts into actual deeds. Because when one does this, they are a living, walking lightning rod of the, li- of the literal presence of God's intention that he had in creating the material space and reality that we're in. They are what's called the manifestation of Hashra Sashrina. Now, in order to unpack this idea even further, we have to understand what the word Hashra Sashrina means. Literally, it means the indwelling of the divine presence. Classically speaking, Hashra Sashrina is a term used for the way in which God was and God willing will be present in the Beis Amikdash, the Holy Temple in Jerusalem. How does that relate, though, to our everyday mundane lives? So the holy books of ancient wisdom of Torah explain that in fact what we implied is true. That in some ways an aspect of the ultimate reality of redemption and of the observable presence of God, which was manifest in the temple historically and which will fill the world in the days of the ultimate redemption, is present, is actually present every time we take right action, especially when we do so with a humbled spirit and a holy intention. That the doctrine of the Torah, of the inner world of Torah, and of Hasidus, is that when we, little old knucklehead selves, do the will of God for the sake of doing the will of God, in the simplest of ways, like the simplest things, like holding the door for a person, we channel into the universe unimaginable spiritual energy and life that was perceivable at Sinai and in the temple, but comes into the world now in a cloak and hidden manner. Now that leads us to another question. Why does it work that way? Why does it have to be cloaked and hidden? And what the ancient wisdom of Torah teaches us is that the reason why the spiritual, the, the robust spiritual energy that is present in the world has to remain hidden is in order for the world to remain in, in its state of materiality. That if God were to unleash the full expression of the meaningfulness of our simplest action, it would overwhelm us and the entirety of the universe. It would completely spin out the allure of materialism that surrounds us. 
in order for God's infinite light and love to be present in a finite material space, our reality has to stay material. In order for us to remain on the path of progress toward perfection, we must remain in seeming imperfection, manifesting our perfection through subtle means. While the hope of ultimate redemption is an evolution of the reality, of our reality to a point where the spiritual can be fully manifest and the material can remain in its state of being material. But now, at this time, our job is to manifest, is to actually manifest infinite divine light and love, perfection, into a universe of material and limitation, into a reality of progress. Now what we need to unpack in order to go forward, though, is why. Why is that valuable? Why does retaining the allure of material and separation good? The perspective that's framed in the books of ancient wisdom is that it's just because. That's it. That's the best answer our ancient tradition can give to us. God wanted and wants it this way, just because. He doesn't just want it this way. He desires it to be this way. He created all of this, all of the theoretical, realistic, and mystically powerful universe, all so he could form a reality in a universe of material existence where remarkably infinite divine light can shine into a material reality. If God is, going back to the point that we were making earlier, that God could do anything, and the anything that he wanted to do was us, this. No doubt that undergirding this, perspective is the faith that underlying all of our human drive to grow and evolve, we are headed on a national and universal odyssey toward a redemption of body and spirit that means an unlocked greatness of love and good, material and spiritual, perfectly expressed, perfection and progress expressed together. Yet where we are now is a leg in the journey of humanity where the material remains most manifest and powerful redemptive redemptive infinite energy of light and love channels through the layers of existence through our right actions. Why? Because. Because God wanted it. That way. Most deeply. Because the only way in which reality can evolve into the redemptive dream of fully manifest spirituality living in line with fully manifest materiality an existence of progress while perfection Being in perfection, but moving toward even more wondrous perfection is for us to do the work here now. If we can accept the premise that God is, our very existence now in the reality that we're in proclaims that God wants a seeming imperfect reality. And that with this new awareness, the reasoning behind it is a fundamental divine desire for things to be exactly like this for us to participate and bring about an ultimate redemption through the evolved process of our subtle yet powerful small actions with proper consciousness and intention. Even the knuckleheads, especially the knuckleheads. Then, indeed, our life is valuable. In fact, we are the most valuable. If, as we said, the intention and utility of of our reality is a manifestation of infinite divine light within the lowest finite reality possible, then the lower you go, the closer you are to the goal. In this frame of reference, the higher forces are here to serve the function and utility of the existence of the lower functions by serving the function and utility of the most mundane and material parts. Moments of sublime spiritual elevation 
are here to serve and to inform our journey ahead and bring resilience in our darkest times. It's not the most able-bodied and most remarkable people that are most able to manifest the deepest expression of God's infinite light. They are actually the least able. You see, the most infinite thing about God's light would be its ability to be expressed within the greatest expression of limitation and yet remain infinite fully. If it doesn't make sense, you're right. It doesn't make linear sense in a hierarchical way of thinking that tells us, listen to your betters, listen to your elites. You are but sheep in the pen in the function of enriching enriching the shepherd's money purse. But that's only true in a universe where the shepherd is what matters. What if above the shepherd were nearly infinite layers of hierarchy? And what if at the top of that pile of meaning was an infinite original cause that really had no use for any of the hierarchy because all that he wanted was to hang out with the sheep because they're cute and because he likes them and because they're not really sheep, they're actually his kids, infinite divine beings dressed up in adorable, cuddly sheep's clothes. Then the shepherd and all of his masters are really only pawns in the love story between the creator and his intended. Details in the drama of life. What really matters is the creator and his adorable, cuddly kids. This is how the ancient wisdom of the inner world of Torah invites us to view our reality. A stark dialectic. There is an ultimate perfection that we are heading towards. And we are in a process of progression towards that each right deed and action laying a stone in the path that brings to fruition the odyssey of God's deepest desire. Yet the very process of purposely and intentionally engaging the process of progress is itself what's most important, because whether we are at the juncture of progress or the destination of redemption, we are divine light in material clothing, and we are what God wants most. This is the purpose and function of mitzvot, of right action and living by spiritual principles as a reflection of our intention and commitment to do God's will. By doing that, by living that way, we bring that reality to fruition. We manifest infinite divine light into material reality. We draw perfection into progress and evolve progress into perfection. We honor the love story of God and of us. So back to our original question, and to bring it back to earth. Why keep going? Why get married? Why do life? Why? For fun and for free. That's why this time of year is the time of the greatest joy. It shatters all the complexity of the aristocratic, elitist, hierarchical thinking that we often get stuck in. Why should God love us, forgive us each year, even though we are sure to continue our imperfection and even rebelliousness, our stiff-necked and stubborn ways? He shouldn't. But he does, just because, for fun and for free, and because we are what matters most. We are who he empowered who he empowered to be his partner in the odyssey of ultimate redemption. Why should we go on in the face of darkness and trauma? Limited linear logic would say we shouldn't, and yet that's why we should. Just because, for fun and for free, because we get to and because we want to. You can't explain the joys of life to someone who is so elite, so removed from the reality of this world by the illusions of wealth and celebrity, much less one 
who has made that wealth and earned notoriety through the pretentious pretending to be someone else for the entertainment of others, or one who inherited a wealth or squeezed an abundance earned on the backs of good people they didn't appreciate? You can't explain the beauty of life. You have to live it outside of the walls of pomp and worship of self. When you see life manifest, when you sit in a room of people who have every linear logical reason to throw in the towel of life in the face of their trauma and pain, and instead they brace and support each other, embrace real progress and spiritual existence, you know, at least in that moment, what it's really all about. You know that the lower you go, the deeper you uncover just how infinite God's light and love is. When you watch a child emerge from the womb and march through the emotional treacherous path that is human society, childhood, adolescence, young adulthood, you begin to gain a vision of the truth that is infinite light and love. When you behold all of that and more, you begin to realize and understand the infinite value of every small move and deed. The powerful nature of sending a text that says, please help me. Or sending a heart emoji that says, I love you. I know you're in pain and I can't fix it, but you aren't alone. You see how precious and value it can be to just drop by and say hello or check in on WhatsApp. You begin to see how subtle glances and small favors that say I love you and why you live opposite me in the material space that is only a reflection of the incomprehensible truth that your soul has a space that lives in my heart, that we, all of us, are infinitely connected in a way that transcends the material reality we currently inhabit and that we are experiencing a transcendent truth within the confines of material space. When you can get in touch with that even for a moment, the fact that another human being's soul can have a space inside of you, you start to see that the material is so much more than we imagine it. It's not that material doesn't matter and only the soul matters. Our material self can contain a soul. It's so deep. And when you catch a glimpse of that power, when you act with intention on that truth, whether, it, whether you're emotionally present in that moment in your heart or not, you are tapping into a love that is truly infinite and a light that is above rhyme and reason and limitation. So the leap that we talked about earlier is not a leap in faith, not a leap into a trust you had, but rather a faith you know to be true because you were there. A belief in God, not because it makes sense, but because you met him. That's the joy of Yom Kippur. That's the joy of Tubov. It's the joy of life itself. Life matters because it does. And I can't explain it to you. But if you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. Have a great week. Thank you for joining the Consciously family. Consciously is brought to you by The Light Revealed, a social media publisher bringing messages of Jewish spirituality and recovery to whoever is looking for them. Consciously is made possible by the kindness of the Capellius family in memory of Tapora Bas Ravaro. Our producer is Morty Schwartz. Our audio engineer is Alps, and our artwork is by Tani Puz. Our social media team is led by Tehil Nasanian with help from Zoe Poznanski. The assistant to the regional co-host is Shmaya Hanekman, and our music is by Eitan Katz featuring Zush. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you can give us a review and subscribe on Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever else you get your podcasts. We love connecting with you, so please feel free to email us at consciouslythepodcast at gmail.com. 
or private message us on Instagram or Facebook.